NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Happy August, everyone. Wait, what? It's August already? God, man, summer. It's betraying us, man. Back to school. Okay, that's not true. Why? August is about to drop a book that will soon become part of classroom libraries everywhere. Ah, don't let it out of the bag. Shh. All right, that's what this show's about. I'm thrilled to be back again with my collaborator and National Writing Project friend, Tanya Baker, to bring forward another episode of The Right Time. Tanya and I keep asking one another, why are we so lucky to run the show and have awesome teachers and writers, writers joining us? My name is Brian Ripley Crandall. I direct the Connecticut Writing Project at Fairfield University, and it's been very hard for me to control my excitement for this <laughs> particular show. Hey, Tanya, how's your summer going? Great, Brian. As you know, I just got back from vacation yesterday, and this is the first great thing I get to do. I am so lucky. Again, my name is Tanya Baker, and I'm the director of national programs at the National Writing Rep- Project. And Brian, when you said you met Kwame Mbalia, Mbalia <laughs> at the North Texas Teen Book Fest last March, you and you were so excited about Tristan Strong punches a hole in the sky, and you made it a mission to meet him. And last fall, we started hearing about a Random House Children's Book Project that would bring forward some of the best, <clears throat> sorry, best writers in the industry right now, a book to celebrate the excellence of young Black males, their happiness, their voices, and their stories. And from other um, authors that we've talked to on the show, we know how important having this kind of book is. So we are beyond thrilled to help debut the book today. We awesome. have with us the incredible Kwame Ambalia, editor of Black Boy Joy, and two contributors, Varian Johnson and Julian Randall, and my good friend and teacher collaborator, Cosby Hunt. We know this is going to be a special conversation. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hey, guys. Welcome. We, uh, Thank you also, for having us. Yeah, Thank you I'm, so much. I'm really excited that Delacour Press actually released this, and, and I get the pleasure of making a more formal introduction of the writers that are with us today. Um, I cannot speak enough about the way these men craft, they weave tech tales, they promote perspectives, and they just offer a one-of-a-kind reading experience with this book. Uh, these tales are immeasurable, and, and I, I learned they were jo- joining forces for Black Boy Joy a while ago, and I knew, I couldn't wait to get my hands on the collection. Mm-hmm. I read it, it delivered everything I wanted it to. I'm always looking for the books I wish I had when I was still teaching in the, in the classroom. I taught in Louisville, Kentucky for 15 years, and I know that my students would love this book. Uh, without a doubt, I'll be pushing this text um, all over the place. Um, sorry about that. That's an unusual thing. I never get calls, but that would be my mom calling. Maybe she wants to know if I am sending her a copy of Black Boy Joy. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I knew that this was going to be a text um, that is going to be just prompted and delivered, and I'm going to use it in professional development all over the state and, and all over the nation. I can't wait to see how young people receive these stories. Uh, Kwame Mabalia, Mbalia, all right, is a husband. He's a father. He's a writer. He's a New York Times bestselling author and a formal pharmaceutical met- uh, metrologist in that order. Meteor- meteorologist? Metrologist. <laughs> meteorologist. His debut middle grade novel, Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky, was awarded a Coretta Scott King author honor. And it, along with the sequels, Tristan Strong Destroys the World and Tristan Strong Keeps Punching, are published by Rick Reardon's Presents Disney Hyperion. He is a co-author of The Last Gate of the Emperor with Prince Joel McConnon from Scholastic Books. 
a Howard University graduate and a Midwesterner now in North Carolina. He survives on dad jokes and cheeses. The cheeses, <laughs> man. I don't. I never understood the cheeses. I, I love cheeses. Oh, not this guy, but man, the dad jokes. I'm there all the time. Marion Johnson. Marion Johnson is the author of several novels for children and young adult books, um, including the Parker Inheritance. Love it. With which won both the Credit Scott King Author Honor and Boston Globe Horn Book Honor Awards, The Great Green Heist, an ALA Notable Children's Book, and Kirkus Reviews Best Book. Such a good book. Get it today. And the graphic novel Twins, which just came out, illustrated by Shannon Wright, an NPR Best Book. His new novel, Drumroll, Playing the Card You're Dealt, is out this fall, and we were super excited. We will, we will be having him back to debut that here as the date gets closer. Julian Randall is a living queer black poet from Chicago. He has received fellowships from Cave Canem, Canto Mundo, Callaloo, Boat, Tin House, Milkweed Editions, and The Watering Hole. Julian is the recipient of a Pushcart Prize and the winner of a 2019 Betty Berzon Emerging Writer Award from the Publishing Triangle and the 2019 Frederick Bach Prize. That was a lot. So I get to hand it over to you for you get to introduce Cosby. <clears throat> Thanks, Brian. Uh, Cosby Hunt. Um, I'm, first of all, we're so excited to have all of you here today. It's amazing. Um, and I'm beyond excited to introduce Cosby, who's a great teacher and my friend. And I'm very, very excited. Cosby's a native of Washington, D.C. and a full-time social studies teacher at Thurgood Marshall Academy. He's also the manager of youth programs for the Center for Inspired Teaching. He co-founded Inspired Teaching's Building Literacy in the, so in the Social Studies LIS program, through which he helped create Common Core Line Curricula at the middle and high school levels for the District of Columbia Public Schools. He also created DC's first citywide credit-bearing credit high school history course called Real World History, um, which is going into its eighth year. I sort of can't believe that, Cosby. <laughs> He's named the 2008 History Teacher of the Year for the District of Columbia and the 2019 Hannah E. McGregor Teacher of the Year for National History Day, Senior Division. Cosby has been a National Board Certified Teacher since 2006. Um, I've had the honor and opportunity to work with Cosby on a number of things, but the reason that I said he has got to be the interviewer for this show is that he is also the loving and devoted father of two beautiful, joy-filled Black boys, Freeman and Ellington. And now it's my pleasure to turn the show over to Cosby to introduce a writing prompt for tonight's episode, followed by an interview with these incredible authors. Cosby? It's all you. All right. Uh, first of all, I, I want to say uh, it's a real honor to be here. This is a highlight of my summer. And I have dressed for the occasion. Uh, we're going to be talking about music. And so I'm, I'm wearing my, I don't know if you can see it, I'm wearing my uh, New Orleans Jazz Fest t-shirt because we're going to be talking <laughs> about today. Um, so here is your write-in prompt. What is a favorite music memory you have? Maybe it was a live performance or just a recorded song that played at a particular time and place. Write about a favorite music memory. Of that prompt. We're going to go off now. I'm going to actually write on that. All right. <laughs> a little bit. Have a great talk. All right, gentlemen. Let's do this. Let's do this. Hey, uh, hey, 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 first off, can I can I start off by answering that prompt? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because immediately, immediately, 
I think of, God, I don't know what year it is. I think I was a sophomore in, in or I was a rising sophomore in college and in Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin, where I grew up, we, me, a good friend, two good friends went to the Smoking Grooves tour. Now the Smoking Grooves tour was uh, Lauren Hill, yeah. uh, CeeLo Green. Yes, um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on so many. Goody Mob. Uh, and headlined by Outcast. Yes. Um, and that, like, that was just, those all of my uh, I think the roots were there. I think that just all of my favorite artists at one time. And that was just like peak Kwame musical, you know, experience right there. Uh, Julian, you want to get in on this? That's, that's just a, that's just a nasty lineup. <laughs> um, but yeah, nah, I mean, I'm jealous of anybody who wants to see Outkast in their prime. Uh, was my the first thing that came to mind was probably my first concert experience, which was uh, Prince on the Musicology tour. My dad was a like day one Prince fan, like picked him up on a pirate radio. Prince was and, your first concert. Yeah, so oh, you know it's it like looking at a curse situation where it's like, yo, best concert ever, but also every concert afterwards, oh. I'm like. Hmm. But can you play nine different instruments? Do you own the purple? Do you own the entire color purple? No. Okay. Well, I'm not paying. <laughs> like, uh, but no, that was that was my favorite music. I get to go to my dad. Because uh, young he used to play it on my mom's stomach when I was a kid. Uh, so we were both we both always been like long time. I, I still don't think he's dead. I think he just like was like, mm, there's some bad things coming. We're gonna dip out for a little bit, but I'll be back. <laughs> Uh, Varian, how about you? Oh, that's hard. Like, I, I saw Prince during this musicology tour, and it was great. It was amazing. My first concert was a Fat Boys concert. It doesn't quite, <laughs> doesn't quite hold up, right? Doesn't quite hold up. But, like, it was, it was nice. It was nice. Um, gosh, my favorite. So, I will say, I love all forms of music, right? Um, and I love uh, jazz, or, or a blend of jazz and pop. And uh, George Benson is one of my favorite guitarists. And I had a chance Masquerade, to see- Masquerade, baby. Masquerade, oh gosh, I love Masquerade. He played at this concert. And it was a really small venue. Um, it was kind of, it was an outdoor venue. And it wasn't very big. And then he invited everyone to come up front, which was great. He played Masquerade. And then he ended on um, Broadway. It was just a magical thing, kind of jamming out. My brother was there and just jamming out with all these folks of all these different ages and, and, and colors, shades, shapes, and sizes. Uh, and that will always stick out because it was just just electric, um, just just watching him perform. Well, my, uh, my I started off well, not as well as Julian, but I started off with the Jackson's Victory Tour. Ooh, mm. right? My very first concert. Um, yeah, yeah, it was nice. Uh, uh, in fact, I got so excited that I peed my pants. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what can you say i mean michael jackson doing the moonwalk with all his brothers i mean come on can't be uh all right we're gonna come back to music i'm gonna come back to music uh kwame you wrote tristan punches a hole in the sky soon after your father passed if i'm not mistaken and uh, my father has passed as well so i wanted to open up some space for us to give some props to our fathers. Um, tell us 
how your uh, tell us a little bit tell us his name please and tell us a little bit about how your father has influenced your writing oh that's easy uh ahmed ahmed fletcher Mbalia, um r.i.p um i i will i will answer that question in what i feel he how he would answer it um because uh, pops anytime you know someone would would you know try to keep praise on him or or uh, uh, you know give him his flowers or whatever he would always say like thank you but um i would i would not be who i am and uh, uh you know he would not be who he is without uh his wife my mother right um and so that's 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 just who he was and so in answering the question how has he influenced me in my writing i would say that he um, it's probably before I even knew what the term toxic masculinity was, he had dismantled it for me because um, he was like, it, you know, it was his effort. Um, like my mother is the writer of the family. If anyone who has had an influence on me, it's my, my mother as a writer and as a, as a worldview, it's my father. And so the two of them combined really shaped um, how I view both um, the craft of writing and what that that writing or you know how that writing exists, what it interrogates, what the content of it is, right? Like those are synonymous. I cannot separate those. Um, I cannot think about how I'm going to improve as a writer without thinking about how am I going to tell these stories that I'm writing about, and that is directly attributable to. Uh, my father and my mother working together in synergy um, to kind of shape the mind of, of what they viewed as, you know, what they called a, a Pan-African uh, creator, someone who viewed the African diaspora and their stories as not only worthy of being told, but necessary of being told. And so that's, you know, I, if, if, if I wanted to congratulate, or if I wanted to thank my father, I, I start by thanking my mother. So um, why Black Boy Joy and why now? <laughs> why not? <laughs> why, why hasn't it been already? You know, why? That's, it's, it's you know, um, the timing was never wrong. There was never a wrong time. I mean, I think what you will, will find is that the idea of uh, pain being more marketable um, into to the publishing industry as a whole. Um, the idea of suffering would be, you know, uh, drives the dollar. Um, but Black Boy Joy is, it's, it's, I mean, when I, when I think about, you know, you know, we talked about uh, our, we just talked about our, our, you know, fondest, uh, our strongest musical experiences. I'm thinking of me and my buddy who were the biggest outcast fans. Right at that time, I promise you, we were the we were the biggest outcast fans at that time. And being able to see them live, you know, the the joy that the music that we had grown up with and that we would recite in the backseat of the car, you know, that going back and forth on our way to school or what have you, uh, or or you know, wait, waiting in line for the next album to come out. Those those are the moments of joy, right? And celebrating that, highlighting that, um, is something that should have been done you know, a long time ago. Um, and so it's, 
I say that, you know, Black Boy Joy is late. I say we needed that a while back. Um, and Black Boy Joy in and of itself, it's just, it's a celebration, right? And, and I am of the mindset that we, um, I'm specifically talking about, about Black people, but I think in general, it could be said as well, that we, um, we celebrate each other far too late. Sometimes we wait, you know, until they're gone before we realize that we should have celebrated someone, should have given them flowers. So why not just celebrate the joy now, right? And put people in that mindset of letting them um, navigate towards their own joy. We have 17 stories here, um, 17 blueprints, 17 pathways to joy. None of them might be the right one for you, but they will put you in a mindset to find your own. And I think that's what's important. Thank you for that. And by the way, there should be more Fletchers in the world. I'm just going to put that out there. Why not? Uh, Varian, both you and Julian have contributed stories that focus on music. And your story, the definition of cool, revolves around a concert. Um, you actually already answered my question about uh, your first concert. Or actually, I don't know, was George Benson your first? It wasn't the first. The Fat Boys was the first. The Fat Boys was the most, uh, was probably the most electric and uh, maybe the most joyful because my brother, I, my brother is a twin brother. He's not older than me. Um, and it was a, a melding of things. You know, my, my father, um, you know, my father passed away recently and he loved music. He was a music major at Norfolk State and um, we will always have music playing in the house. And as much as I loved rap and R&B, we would kind of go back to these certain things that he loved, lots of 70s, 80s music, lots of Earth, Wind & Fire, lots of Earth, Wind & Fire, uh, lots of Chaka Khan too, lots of Rufus, uh, lots of all of these things. And so it was, it was really interesting going to this concert and he wasn't there, but like listening to music that he loved as well too and being able to talk to him about it. I do remember, I only had a chance to go to one concert with him and it was a jazz concert. It was uh, the late, great George Duke, uh, Rochelle Farrell was there too, Al Jarreau. And, um, and he loved it. And it, it was so great seeing his experience and that elevated everyone else's experience too. Um, and it's something, you know, it's, it kind of alludes to what Kwame said, you know, we, we don't celebrate joy enough or we wait too late or we wait for special occasions even sometimes where we should, it should be an everyday occurrence to celebrate joy and, and the good and, and make sure we're, we're, we're not focusing on the negative that we remember even in the midst of hardship uh, of negatives that there's really this beauty in, in the black experience and in, in the human experience. I don't know how these things work so when you, had you already written the definition of cool when you got out to be in Black Boy Joy or that's the story that came out after you were asked? Uh, it came out after I was asked. I had been toying with the idea. I love short stories, right? And I don't have a chance to do them enough, but I love short stories. And I've got two daughters and they're at the age, my 10 year old, she likes to go to like the kids bop concerts, right? But you know, she's gotta be cool at the kids bop concerts, right? And I, I'm 
I'm not so cool. I was cool at home, you know, but now that she's older with her friends, you know, me and my, my running man aren't so cool anymore. Um, but she still loves it when we're home. And so it's really an interesting dynamic to think about. Um, and I kind of thought back to my own situation with my own parents and like how I love their attention, except when I don't want their attention. And I kind of sometimes miss out on the joy of experiencing things with them uh, to be in, to be cool. And that's a really, that's a really temporary fleeting thing. And then we can kind of twist the, the idea of what is in, what is cool, what is hip, what is whatever. And uh, it doesn't have to be kind of go to the stereotypical norm of parents are old and crusty and young people are cool. I think we could cross, I think we've shown with a number of people who love all different types of things like music, it transcends age. It makes everybody cool. Julian, uh, actually, you know, uh, Varian made a nice bridge to you because uh, you know, your story references gospel, uh, earth, wind and fire. And my man, Keith Sweat, thank you for that. Nobody, anyway, you don't want me to do that. Um, so, and yet, so we've got gospel, we've got hip hop, we've got earth, wind and fire, we've got Keith Sweat, and yet you title your story, but also jazz. So tell us how you got to that title and the role that jazz plays in your writing. Mark, <clears throat> uh, that's a great question. So the way that it, uh, the funny thing is that this is one of those times where the dialogue actually happened in my real life before it happened. So, but also jazz references a line from uh, the protagonist and or narrator of our story, Nikkel. Uh, he has an older cousin, he has an older cousin who's a rising star rapper in the community. And he says, uh, no, uh, I don't want to write one of those verses where it's like everything is terrible. The whole country is falling apart. We're in trouble but also jazz exists, so everything's okay. Uh, that was a answer that, that was most of what answer that I gave when I was talking about my first book at the first event that we ever had for it. Um, because they asked me how I thought about writing about Black Joy. Um, and so for me, one of the big things was acknowledging that like, this is like a dark, weird, scary, this can be a dark, weird, scary world. Like a, bad, a lot of bad things can happen, um, but how do we also find what follows after the comma, right? What follows after that quiet, what follows after that silence? Uh, so how does jazz factor into the way that I think about writing? I think that a lot of it comes from the idea of improvisation leading to a larger sense of discovery, right? That for me, when I'm in the writing process, like this was a this was such a cool, interesting experience because I hadn't had a chance to write a short story in any real context since like high school. So I'd never given it, I hadn't had a chance to do the form again. So it was so fun to go in there and discover and improvise and do some of the things that I'm able to do novel-wise and then like pair a couple of things back. So that dedication to improvisation, which you know, like beyond jazz, beyond, beyond jazz, beyond soul, beyond gospel, just is, I think, what unites all Black people is our ability to improvise, our ability to shift and make things. So I find that in jazz as much as I find it in writing, as much as I find it in hip-hop. Speaking of improv improvisation 
or something related to it. Kwame, you spoke in the past about folk tales and how they evolve over time. The folk tale that we were told 30 years ago might be told differently today. Uh, this is a question for anybody. Think about the last two years of our lives, the, the last two years in history. Uh, how would you like people to talk about those two years 30 years from now, a generation from now? You know, um, it's, it's, that's funny. That's a, that's an interesting question. And this, I feel like this answer is almost going to be, well, I got it. I can only, I can only say how I would envision writing about it um, because I feel like everyone is going to take different um, experiences from these past few years. It's been incredibly difficult. It's been incredibly it, violent at times, horrific at times, sad. It's been wonderful. It's been beautiful. Um, and so everyone is going to take a different slice from this. Um, I think of, you know, um, my uh, son, my youngest, uh, was born um, during the pandemic, right? So we have this, per this, this period of horrific death, right? Um, and, and tragedy and suffering and trauma. And yet there's this beautiful ray of light, this sunshine that appears, right? And it's like, and that's life in a nutshell, right? We experience and we couple the horror with the beauty all the time. It's just, and, and, and uh, it's just that sometimes we aren't able to see um, or, or able to crystallize it so succinctly, right? a baby being born during the pandemic, right? Normally it's like, oh, I went through, you know, four or five rough years and then I gradually climbed out or vice versa, um, so on and so forth. And so, you know, 30 years from now, um, people, you know, my current six-year-old might be writing about, you know, uh, being a student who first year of kindergarten was virtual, right? Uh, and all of the things you think of the learns the things that we learn in kindergarten, walking in lines and hallways and being, you know, respectful and classroom structure and such, and all how all of that was removed. And instead, my six-year-old is a wizard at Zoom, right? Like in absolute Zoom IT tech, you know. Um, and and so I, I I think about there there are experiences that I haven't even thought about that my children will take you know, forming discord groups to bond because they're craving social interaction, right? Um, holding book clubs virtually, drive-by birthday parties and baby showers, uh, um, and, and, you know, because we're unable to gather in groups. And so it's, it's, it almost boggles the mind, you know, it, this is one of those periods, I, I can't wait to see what people write about it and read it, because some of it, I'm going to be like, wow, did I completely miss to that? Some of that, some of them is going to be like, well, I lived through that. And some of them is just going to be, it's going to be absolutely, absolutely bananas. I just want to see all of the stories told and not um, have them minimized, right, or not have them erased because it wasn't someone else's lived experience. I think that's what we need to take away from this. You know, just jumping in, it's all about the danger of a single story, right? And the idea that we are not a monolith and that we have different 
lived experiences. We have different hopes and dreams, different things that we go through and kind of getting that down on the page. And, you know, uh, Kwame, like you mentioned earlier, that was some of the negative that, that, that happened in publishing, right? There was kind of this one narrative that drove everything. We um, have seen much more diversity in the types of stories that are told, the protagonists of those stories, where they live, what they do, their temperament, who they are. Um, and that would be true of living today too. I mean, I, I think there's so many negative things that happened over the past couple of years, but like seeing the first woman elected vice president, seeing a woman of color being elected as a vice president and sitting there with my girls as it's happening is something that like, it doesn't make up for all the pain of the past two years, but it is a shining light. It's a beacon within these past few years of, of the potential for the future. So, you know, just like you said, right? You got to take the good and the bad. Um, and, but that's always been the story of my life. It just hasn't always been reflected on the page. I'm going to answer my own question and then open it up for when uh, I hope 30 years from now that we talk about 2020 and 2021 at a time when we started to do school differently. Uh, and we'll see a year and a half of pandemic and Zoom schooling and just go back to business as usual in the classroom, but we'll see. Uh, all right, Julian, any thoughts about how you'd like the next generation to talk about these two years, 30 years from now? I think a lot of it is going to depend on how much we can keep like, I think what I'm thinking about the most right now is all of the mutual aid funds that I've seen like pop up and how much I've seen people coming together, how much we've seen uh, like local communities showing up for individuals. And I think that that is, if that is the, the glimpse of the world that we can build as the old one crumbles kind of into the sea that we're in right now, then I'm not going to say that I'm okay with all the price that we've paid, but I love the idea of this as the beginning of a new story to be told. I like this as the, I like that. And so I'm hoping that the story that we continue to tell is the story of how we came to care about each other even more, even though we were put, pushed infinitely further apart. Kwame, we haven't talked about your story yet. So uh, why a griot? And, and just help, help folks out there who don't know what a griot is also. Call me your own mute. Excellent, thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, I want—I was saying that I want to give the the official um, definition because uh, to me, a griot has come to encompass so much more, and just you know, at its simplest, this idea of a storyteller. But everything isn't always simple. Harkening uh, um, back to to um, West African traditions, um, and I. Every single story that I write seems to almost be about the act of telling stories. Um, 
and and of collecting and transmitting them, uh, being almost a record for the stories of a people, of a group of people, of a culture, right? And so, you know, my story um, entitled The Griot of Grover Street um, is a framing story in which, you know, kind of the, the 16 other fantastic contributors, you know, um, their stories are, are sort of connected and interwoven via my story, you know, this idea of a, of a kid um, traveling between worlds and a realm and collecting the joy from, you know, individual uh, lives in order to transmit them um, to, to someone else, right? This idea that, that um, joy is transferable, which it is, um, that uh, we should be seeking it, which we should. Um, and so this idea of a, of a, of a, you know, a kid griot um, who is learning the ropes, um, understanding how to navigate these spaces, um, being shown and being mentored, which is also something that I think is really critical um, that we highlight. You know, I'm, I 100% believe that it is our responsibility to not, um, to not show one way, but to show a way and then to provide the tools for our younger generations to then navigate their own way forward to find their own path towards joy. Uh, and so just this, this, uh, this griot, um, this griot in training uh, who um, travels between the realms of the worlds and collects joy. I, it's just, there's, I, I find something um, beautiful in that and this idea that um, you know, you mentioned folktales folk and the ability to, to, they grow and they change, you know, over time, depending on who's telling them. And the best storytellers, the best griots, right, they uh, recognize what the audience needs in that moment as they stand there in front of them and they adapt the story to them, right? They adapt the story because they see that there are, um, children hungry for adventure, knowing that there's a larger world outside. They see that there are adults who are craving a spark, a return to simpler times when, you know, they could sit down and someone would tell them a story, right? Uh, or they can see an audience that requires um, a, 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 a push, right? They are hungering, they're looking uh, for someone to take them to this next stage to progress uh, uh, to to um, this next point in, in in society where they're moving forward to become you know something even better than they are right and the best griots they see that right and they take that moment and they put it into that tale that they're telling and so what we have you know with my story and with all with with the sixteen other stories right is it's like you're getting seventeen roadmaps right seventeen storytelling roadmaps and we're handing them young people like listen you can follow our example you can chart a new path right um here are some options the way that we did it but you're gonna find your own joy because joy is individual to you uh and and you know it's just it's i don't know it, it's just something really beautiful about that i love that imagery of road maps very, and I'm sure you've gotten this question before, Julian, you as well. Uh, but for the folks out there, young 
and otherwise who are thinking about being writers or are writers and want to do it better, uh, what's a piece of advice that you have for them? Or a writer who wants to see more books like this one? Um, you know, I think uh, I, I, I always, I kind of have a road answer, right? You read as much as you can, you write as much as you can. You read all these different types of things, and some things you like, you don't like. Uh, but you pull from those as you're creating your own toolbox of, of how to write and what you want to write about. But I also think, as I've thought on this more, that, that you know, looking at other writing is very important. You know, reading books is very important. But also, don't be confined to those books as well, too. You know, you can break outside of the mold about the right way to write something. I think we've been, you know, we've kind of had the... the the Western canon kind of beat into many of us about what is the correct way for a story structure or to tell a story or what a character should feel. And I think we're realizing that there's more than one, one way to tell a story. Um, and so I, I encourage young folks to lean into that and to think about the ways to be creative, how to take the things that are important to them and infuse those in their own story uh, storytelling. Um, and and not, not to be discouraged by that. I think many people will be unsure and afraid of it, but just because they don't understand it doesn't mean it's wrong. It's all about figuring out how to navigate it and cultivating that writing over time. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So they got plenty of time to get there. Uh, <laughs> uh, something you said just reminded me about how important it is to in include uh, your personal experience in the writing. And one of my best friends, uh, we met in fourth grade and I was taken by the fact that she wore socks and sandals. And of course, on the first page of your story, there were socks and sandals. Have you also had someone in your past who rocked the socks and sandals? That would be me, form and function together, you know? Yes, Pre sir. The warm. Yes, sir. Preach yeah. it. Preach to them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Julian, what's your what's your advice for um, for aspiring writers? I'm aware. So first of all, huge cosign on everything Marion just said. Uh, my other thing is, or I don't know if it's an other thing. I think that it's a, it, it tacks on that. It's just to trust your obsessions. Um, I think that often we are told, especially like this is part of the reason I love. The, the minute that this anthology got pitched to me, I was like, I'm in. <laughs> like whatever it is, I'm in. Um, because I knew that it was going to be very ex and expansive in what it wanted to in what it wanted to do. And there are so many times when you're a black boy or a black person of any gender variant, right? That you're told that your joy is somehow outside of the can outside of the canon of what can be considered joy, right? Of what can be considered the good grounds for a story. And so eventually you start feeling like you're completely alone. Nobody will ever want to read your story. Nobody will ever care about this. Nobody has this experience, but are you nobody? No. So surely there's somebody else out there who needs this, uh, to use Kwame's um, uh, analogy, who needs this roadmap to help find their way either to you or to themselves or both, <clears throat> right? So just trust your obsessions. I really wanted to write a story about a ghost writing 12, about a 12 year old who ghost writes rhymes. 
because my dad is a ghostwriter. Like, I don't know anybody else who knows any ghostwriters, but then I was given an opportunity and I was like, okay, cool. And then it ended up being one of my favorite things that I've ever gotten a chance to write. So trust your obsessions, trust what's pulling you forward. <laughs> Somebody needs it. Trust your obsessions should be a t-shirt. And if it becomes a t-shirt, I hope you get your royalties. You heard it here first. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to bring it back to music for the last question. Uh, I play a lot of music in my classroom for my students when we're doing writing, when they're coming into the room. What is uh, a song that you want every Black boy to hear because it's so joyful? Uh, I'm going to yeah, I'm gonna shut up and, and hear what you guys have to say. So I know it's hard. One song just that brings you joy, you know that you just want black boys, hell, everybody, to hear this song. Uh, okay, so I, 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 okay. All right, I'm gonna pick a song and most of you already heard it, but it is still my go-to happy song and it's September by Earth, Wind & Fire. Do you remember the 21st night of September? It's all about fun. And I was reading this article um, where the lyricist who worked with Maurice White and the group was talking about it. And you know, there's this part, body da, say they didn't remember. And like he doesn't fill in the words. And, and, and she's like, wait, we're gonna we're gonna leave those in? What are you talking about? And he's like, hey, don't let the lyric get in the way of the groove. And I love that. Like, don't get the word, you know, sometimes you just gotta feel it, right? And it brings such joy and excitement to almost anyone who listens to it. Um, so I'm gonna go with that one. It's an oldie, but it's a classic. Absolute classic. Kwame? I saw we knocked your head back with that question. So I'm expecting um, something. I, listen, I'm gonna I'm bring it all back and tie it all together with Outkast uh, and say, um, Elevators off of uh, their Atlians, you know, their second album. Um, there's the very fourth verse, the last verse by Andre 3000, where he's relating, you know, how um, uh, he meets somebody from his past who, and now that he's a rapper, you know, and, and he's like, you know, yeah, you know, I bet you're, you're rolling it. You got money and everything. You got some fame, you got clout, right? And Andre's reply, reply is basically, it's like, listen, we're still the same, you know, we're still doing the same thing. I just, I have a different job now, right? And my job is dependent on you. And I, I find that so fascinating because a lot of times, you know, we're always looking in someone else's yard, right? And we're never taking the time to appreciate what we have. We're never taking the time to celebrate the joy in our own lives. We're always looking at someone else's joy, right? And like, man, I wish, you know, what he's got, I want to do it. I want to, so I want to be like that, you know, I want to do that. And, and it goes back to, to, to what I was saying about, you know, waiting to celebrate, you know, until it's too late, right? Um, I want, I want uh, the young black, not only the black boys, but everyone reading this um, to, I, I want them to recognize that, you know, celebrate your own joy, right? No one, no, if anything, if only you celebrate, that's fine, but you treat yourself, right? When you do something great, when you do something normal, when you wake up in the morning, right? Celebrate that fact. 
because there are times when no one else is going to do it for you. In fact, they will try to do the complete opposite, right? Um, and so that's that's you know what I just elevators, me and you by by Outcast. Um, it's just I, I I play that constantly for myself. Just the idea, like um, he says, I live by the beat, like you live check to check. Uh, if you don't move your feet, then I don't eat. So we are like neck and neck, right? It's the same thing for us as writers. Like we're living line by line, right? Advance to advance, royalty hopefully to royalty, right? And so if you don't read, um, we don't eat. If you don't celebrate your own joy, who's going to feel? Nobody's going to feel happiness for you. Celebrate your own joy. All right, Julian, you get the last word. You had a, a lot of time to think about this song. <laughs> yeah, um, and those were both wonderful answers. Um, I would go with, uh, I don't know if it counts as like a deep cut, but I feel like people don't talk enough about redemption off of the Black Panther soundtrack. Mm. Um, <laughs> like that, that, that John slaps. I think partly just because there's a, uh, very few things that make me like dance every single time but there's something about that there's something about that baseline there's something about the way that it, it it sends itself off that you do feel redeemed and i hope that everyone who needs to feel redeemed feels redeemed nice well you all we, we get to sit up outside and like eavesdrop and take notes and write down and i'm i'm like that that was amazing talk and and i i have to say it before because like I, this show ends like everything you said was amazing but uh julian that mom following the kid around like an emotional roomba <laughs> made, i that's the simile and i like i got to that and i had to stop and think like you could write a million years and not come up with like a perfect thing to describe a mom love for a boy and following around like like an emotional Roomba. I mean, God bless. I was like, I stopped and tasted those words for a few hours and I kept saying, that is like perfect, man. Yeah, and all of your stories together are beautiful, um, apart, beautiful. But I, I mean, the collection as a whole, teachers are just gonna enjoy this, this power to, to share with all readers in our classroom. And it's, they're the stories and the narratives we've needed for a long time. Hey, Barry, gra grab the book off your bookshelf so the people can see it. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yo. Yes. Oh, thank uh, Brian, you. Brian, you're muted. <laughs> now you got to hold the book up. Tanya's going to kill me. She's got to close off the show. We all have to go on. So, you, um, you should know that I'm never going to kill anybody for playing Earth, Wind, Fire. <laughs> that is the best. Uh, Cosby, you got one more prompt for us to take us out? Yes. So, the, uh, 
Kwame stories in the anthology. I'm going to call it an anthology. Um, take us to a magical place called the between. And uh, so here's our write out prompt. Describe a magical place for you. This could be a place you have visited with your body or one you visited in your mind. That is a gorgeous place to end this gorgeous conversation. Um, I wanna thank you so much. That's my job at the end to thank everyone. Um, I, uh, I'm gonna take a minute because Cosby will appreciate that my, my answer to the first and last question might be the same, which is that Cosby calls my daughter whose last name is Baker Haynes, spelled like beans. So he started calling her Cool Beans, my daughter Cool Beans, my best concert <clears throat> and a magical place that I have visited was um, when my daughter was 16, I took her and her best friend to see Beyonce at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. <laughs> Uh, right after Lemonade came out and that was magical in every way. And I've been thinking about it and her, how much she will love this whole conversation um, as I listen today. So that was my personal journey. I wanna thank you Kwame for making this beautiful book and for opening this interview with the exact right answer. Why not? Why isn't it always the right time for us to be celebrating? Black Boy Joy, I wanna thank you, Varian, and tell you how excited I am that we're gonna to get to talk to you again when your new book comes out later this year. So I'm really looking forward to that. And Julian, I don't know if anyone has ever said this to you, but I think every teacher should show this interview in their class and say, that is what it looks like when someone listens with love and respect. Like, it is amazing. This interview should be watched on video and be just to watch you listen and respond to your colleagues is beautiful. And also I am going to try to wake up every morning and say, if this becomes the story of how we came to care about each other even more then it was all worth it. So thank you for that as well. You have all been amazing. The last thing I always say is thank you to the listeners and viewers who are here with us tonight. We want you never to miss an episode of The Right Time because we spend so much time in joyful celebration of writers and teachers and the books that they share with young people. So if you want to make sure you never miss an episode, uh, join, go to um, nwp.org, sign up for our newsletter, and um, always be informed about what's going to come up next. Thank you, everybody. Uh, this was amazing, and you really made my day. And I hope that you made each other's as well. Thank you. Everybody get this book. Get, get all the books that these guys write. <laughs> Indeed. Thanks, thanks for having right, us. Thanks so much. NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. WP Radio.